0: Good morning, friends. Are you encouraged yet? Good. I was uh, joking with my wife the other day that, you know, after it's been over a year since we've had a baptism and it's such a wonderful service, I could get up here and say, well, that's enough for the day, and we could go home. But yeah, that probably wouldn't go over too well with me or God or, or any of you. But. Um, it's been a great day together so far hasn't it so encouraging I uh, looked online for a Barna group research report this past week the Barna group does religious research and every year they they do quite a bit of surveying and reporting on how the church is doing how America is doing in relationship to religious things, and I came across this um, report um, in their latest research that 35% of Americans never read their Bible, and 60% of Americans read it less than five times per year. That's shocking to me, but understandable. Amazingly, even though the pandemic frightened many people in this country, personal Bible engagement actually decreased during 2020. That doesn't make sense, does it? Although Bible sales surged in the first quarter of 2020, personal Bible engagement actually declined between January and June of 2020. I I can hardly believe that. One concerning piece of data that uh, the Barna Group reported was that the group that decreased their Bible reading the most in 2020 were those of us who said we are Bible-centered people. That's the group who decreased the most in 2020. Again, you would think it would be just the opposite. Another interesting barn of data was that Bible engagement went up or down based on a person's connection with their local church. That does make sense to me. The more isolated someone is from their local church, the less Bible is part of their lives. The more connected they are to their local church, the more the Bible is part of their lives. What also was concerning in this report that it was one out of every 3 practicing Christians stopped attending church in 2020. And 50% of those were millennials. What is wrong with you group, the millennial group? I mean, would you please stand? Let's make fun of you here. All the... (laughs) Well, today's Bible text that you heard read earlier uh, has something to say about all of this. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna make sure you're open to Psalm 119, verse 161 will be the focus today. This verse gives great encouragement for Bible engagement in our lives. Many, many people, although they don't seem to prioritize the scriptures, uh, would do well to spend some time thinking about this passage that we're looking into today. And my goal today is to explain this one verse to you and demonstrate to you the gigantic importance of Bible engagement in your personal lives daily. Okay? So let's, let's get into this. The outline is in your bulletin, and I, I hope that you'll follow along with that and, and use it to aid your memory uh, past this next 30 minutes. But the first point is that to stand in awe of God's Word. What, what are we talking about, to stand in awe of God's Word? Let me, let me try to explain this to you uh, as well as I can. You can't stand in awe of God's Word if you ignore it. Let me read the verse. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. So if you're going to ignore God's word, there's no chance of you standing in awe of it. Right? If it's not part of your life, if, you're, if there is no Bible engagement currently in your life, you're not part of this group, those standing in awe of God's word. So let's look into what it means to stand in awe of God's Word. First, I want you to to recognize the necessity of a regenerated heart. To stand in awe of God's Word requires regeneration, requires the, the work of the Holy Spirit to have already happened. If you have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you will not stand in awe of God's Word. Those who reject God and His gospel have no true interest in God's word. That doesn't take much to convince you of that. It's only those whose hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit through regeneration, that is a divine work of grace in your life that draws you to Christ, only those are interested in God's word and stand in awe of it. This is why interest in God's word is a great barometer of your spiritual health. So... If you want to be introspective this morning, you could think, how engaged am I with God's Word? Is this my only engagement on Sunday morning? Well, there's your barometer. Are you healthy spiritually or unhealthy spiritually? And so the more you're engaged with God's Word, the, the healthier you are, spiritually speaking. Psalm 50, verse 16 and 17 says this. But to the wicked, God says, that is those who have not been regenerated, what right have you to recite my statutes or to take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. They could care less. Those who have yet to be regenerated, those who aren't regenerated, those who have rejected the gospel and Jesus Christ could care less about Scripture. There are many who pretend to have an interest in God's Word. They may attend church and may even attend Bible studies, talk about the Bible, own a couple copies of it, but the Bible never seems to reform them for some reason. They remain unmoved by God's Word, and whenever the Word of God conflicts with a personal desire of that person, the unregenerate person, the Bible always loses. Have you ever noticed that? These people are willing to obey, quote unquote, God's word when it's convenient or to make a show, but the minute that God's word could possibly interrupt their agenda, it's out the door. This is a grand deception of self and others who may be watching, including your children. Jesus spoke about these kind of people in Matthew 15, remember? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But when the heart has been regenerated, when the heart has been regenerated, everything changes, doesn't it? When the Holy Spirit comes in and removes that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh, a heart that loves God and is passionate for him and his word, everything changes. The word becomes sweet, like we just heard read, like honey. Precious, like gold and silver. And it draws the regenerated heart towards itself and produces a hunger and thirst for the scriptures. This has been repeated over and over and over again in Psalm 119, hasn't it? In fact, there's only four verses in all of Psalm 119, 176 verses long, only four of them don't specifically mention God's Word. This is what the the whole chapter is about. So now let's look at the meaning of standing in awe of God's Word. The first subpoint there under the meaning of standing in awe of God's word is it's something inward. Look at the verse. It says, "My heart stands." That's an inward thing. My heart stands in awe of your word. This is not a command to stand on your feet when God's word is read, although that's not a bad practice. This phrase in verse 161 is a description of an attitude of a regenerated heart, one one that's been affected by the Holy Spirit, changed. It's, it's the attitude of the person who's embraced the word, who's embraced the gospel. It's a disposition, it's a conviction, it's a disposition of reverence, and it's a settled conviction of the worth of this book that we call God's word. Secondly, it's something that draws and repels. So when you read, my heart stands in awe of your words, that word awe here is in focus on this point. It the word of God, draws and it repels. So awe does two things. Let me read Jesus' perspective on this from John 3. For everyone who does wicked things, Jesus said, hates the light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It draws and it repels. Let's look at these two things. It repels, first of all, Jesus said. Uh, this This is kind of, this awe is kind of a fearful, distasteful awe. We could say awful Right? This is awful in the minds of the unregenerate, the Word of God is. Uh, the unregenerate person has a servile fear of God and possesses a negative sense of his character. They view God as impersonal, uninterested, angry, etc. And if their heart remains unregenerate, the Word of God will repel them. Why? Because it reveals God in a way that they disagree with. The Bible, this Word reveals God as loving, kind, and good. They don't see him that way, the unregenerate. It repels them. It also repels them because it exposes sin, right? This is what Jesus was saying. Unregenerate people recoil at being exposed. Of course, none of us like being exposed. I mean, we've said this before. How many of you would appreciate if when you came in next Sunday, all the sins of this week were on the overhead that you committed? with your name and picture attached. That'd be a problem for us, wouldn't it? So we, we, we recoil in the same sense, but it, it's, it's different for us. The regenerate person has the Holy Spirit of God moderating that interaction with the Word and, and prompting confession, prompting contrition, which is what Romans 8 means when it says, God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit. It, it takes the Word of God and does what it's intended to do with the regenerate heart. The word of God also repels the unregenerate because of fear of God and his judgment. You remember Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden? They didn't run back to God, did they? They ran away from him. They hid from him. Why? Because they feared God's judgment. God promised judgment if they sinned, which they did, and so they were afraid of that judgment, and so they hid. And this is a two-sided thing as well, this fear this type of fear. God is to be feared, isn't he? Because of his judgment, he's a fearful God. The Bible tells us that over and over again because he promises judgment to sinners. But he's also a gracious God, isn't he? Full of mercy, abounding in steadfast love, anxious to pardon, as we repeat week after week here at Sun Valley Church. You remember when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden? You remember that story? That was was both sides of this awe. A repelling and a drawing. The repelling of course is being kicked out of God's presence because of their sin but in the act of being removed from the garden God extended unbelievable grace and mercy to Adam and Eve. Why? Through death. Death was impossible inside the garden but outside the garden they could actually die and be free of sin. It was an act of grace and mercy to get the boot from the garden. So we have this this awe of God that is awful to some and now awesome to others. I want you to think of it like that. It's it's an awe that's considered reverent, loving, awesome. Not awful. A holy awe of God's word will actually draw you towards it. If you've been regenerated, you'll have a spirit Holy Spirit-induced desire for God's Word. It will cause you to be sensitive to and desirous of obeying the commands found herein, determined not to disobey the commands here. We would say that Christians stand in awe of God's Word because of a holy love and reverence. Our awe is experienced as delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Remember those? Verses, what is this? We're delighting in the Lord's word, the Lord's character, everything that we discover about the Lord in the scriptures. So the Holy Spirit of God creates a love for God, a love for his word once he changes us. The word of God becomes indispensable. It becomes vital to those of us who've been regenerated. Thirdly, it's something that is comprehensively odd. It's... Odd in a comprehensive sense. That is, the word of God is awed from beginning to end. All parts, all, th- all portions. Authentic Christians aren't just in awe of the verses about God's love. The verses about God's judgment, God's justice, God's wrath are also things that bring awe into our minds and hearts. Verses that scare us, like the verses in Hebrews that we've covered in the past, are just as awe-inspiring to us as those verses that comfort our souls when we sin and are drawn back into the presence of God in a loving way. We we want to be sure that those scary passages aren't describing us, and, and the verses that depict a faithful follower of Christ are describing us. All of Scripture, from beginning to end, produces a deep, reverent, loving appreciation of God's character and the worth of His Word. So we have... A repelling something that's awful to the unregenerate and a drawing something that's awesome to the regenerate so why should we stand in awe of God's Word besides all the things I've already said let me give you some detail we should stand in awe of God's Word because of its author the author of God's Word is awesome wouldn't you say this book that we're studying reveals God to us in clear ways, what does it reveal to us about our God, our creator? All of his qualities. We, we, could, we could spend an entire sermon series preaching you on the qualities or the character traits of God, couldn't we? There's, there's reams of books, volumes written on this very thing. And so let's review a couple of them. He's omniscient, he knows everything. Does that inspire awe in your heart, that God knows everything? It, let, let me read one for you. Psalm 139.2, David said, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. It's one thing for God to know when someone sits down and, and, and stands, you know, because he can see it. I know right now you're all sitting. right? But that's not too impressive. But I cannot tell you what you're thinking. God can. Right? <laughs> that's a little more awe-inspiring. Yeah, another thing. He created everything out of nothing. His authority is supreme. His power is infinite. His knowledge perfect, his justice impartial, his truth unquestionable, and his holiness is pristine. He's awesome. And yet, in, even though all these amazing qualities are out there that make him other, and maybe even a little bit fearful he says to us what i love you with a steadfast love he's anxious to forgive anxious to pardon anxious to draw anxious to be with his people nehemiah 9:17 you are a god ready to forgive gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love that's the kind of god i want don't you yeah. The things that cause us to worship God also cause our hearts to stand in awe of His Word. The Word of God is awesome because its author is awesome. Let me, let me try to unpack this a little bit more for you. God's Word penetrates the soul because God is its author. God's Word, this book, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I'm certain you have. Slices and dices you like nothing else. Yeah, you who are laughing know what I'm talking about. This is exactly what it does. Hebrews 12, 13, uh, 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This word penetrates like nothing else. And the reason it can do that is because its author knows your soul better than you do. Secondly, God's word is powerful because God is its author. God's word is powerful because the all-powerful God authored this book. Romans 1:16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. The gospel is recorded where? In the scriptures. So the scriptures are those things that demonstrate the power of God, including the gospel. Amazingly, the word of God is so powerful it can transform a rebel into a saint. Do you realize that this word does not need your assistance in leading your friends and neighbors to the Lord? People can actually come to faith by reading this alone. My brother-in-law was a professional hockey player uh, for the Los Angeles Kings and he was in a hotel room on one of his trips someplace and He found a Gideon Bible in the nightstand, opened it, and began reading in Matthew. Didn't close it till he got done with Acts, and before it was over, he was saved. From a totally irreligious background. That's the power of the Word of God. He didn't need a four-point testimony or a track with pictures. He needed the Word of God. God's word, thirdly, has authority because of its author. Its author has authority, right? God is has all authority. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me from the Father. So let's think about this authority contained in the person of God. Jesus spoke, and things happened, didn't they? Amazingly, he said, Be still. And the winds and the waves were still. Amazingly, he said, receive your sight. And a blind man received his sight. He said, be healed. And the leper was healed. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And lo and behold, Lazarus came forth. Why? Because God has authority. That's why. And when he comes to your soul and he says to you, come forth, guess what? You come forth. You believe. Why? Because God has authority even over you. Friends, this book is awesome because its author is awesome. This is why we stand in awe of it. Its author, secondly, its importance. How important is this word to you? Is it important enough for you to pick it up and read it, you know, a few times a week? Well, let me read for you some words from Deuteronomy 32 and make some comments, see if it encourages you. Moses said to them, Deuteronomy 32, 46, and 47, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, and that is the word of God that was recorded, that you may... Command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word to you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over to possess. (laughs) This word, Moses said to the people of Israel, is your very life. The Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, friend, this word is your life. This word is your life. Do you believe that this word of God that you hold in your hands is your very life? Or have you not been convinced of that yet? Your soul depends on this word, friend, literally. Your eternity rests on this word. The eternity of your children and grandchildren rests on this word. Could anything be more important? On this side of eternity, before we see Jesus face to face, our lives day to day still are dependent on this word. The word of God gives our lives meaning and direction. The word directs the details of our lives in our relationships, in our homes, in our communities, at schools, in our vocation, at church. This word guides our thinking. This word keeps us safe. This word explains our trials, comforts us in our sorrows, gives us hope for the future. Is there anything more important than this word? This word is your very life. The word is more important than any experience you may have. So many people are swayed by their own experiences. They think that their experience is king. Well, that's not how I experience it, so they reject portions or all of God's word because of their experience. Where do our experiences come from? All over the place. It could be from last night's meal is why you had that vision at 2 a.m. So Peter, the apostle, experienced all sorts of stuff remember he was with Jesus and all those times he healed people walked on water brought people back from the dead he was there he watched it and in first Peter he says this word is more valuable than any experience I ever had experience is something but it's nothing and compared to the word This word is your very life. Moses didn't say, your experience also is really important. No. People experience all sorts of stuff all the time. This word is the important thing. This word is the thing that ought to be the controlling factor of our lives. So why should we stand in awe of God's Word? Its author is awesome, it's important, and then now, finally, its benefits. Why should we stand, or why should our hearts stand in awe of God's Word? Because of its benefits. Again, (laughs) we could spend a lot of time talking about the benefits of God's Word, but I'm just going to summarize them for you here by reading Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits.'" who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. There are some benefits, wouldn't you say? So let's let's just spend the next couple minutes talking about the benefits. Of course, this is not exhaustive. You'll need to go to seminary to get that list. Here's this short version. The Word of God is beneficial because it strengthens and protects us. It strengthens and protects us. This is similar to what I've just been sharing all morning, but it falls under the heading of benefits. Your spiritual life is strengthened. It is protected by the Word of God. Just review Psalm 119. If you don't go anywhere else, Psalm 119 will confirm this to you. The Word of God strengthens and protects your life, both spiritual and physical. Let me read for you 2 Thessalonians 3.3. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you against the evil one. How is the Lord going to strengthen and protect you? His word. That's how. In God's word, we learn of God's means for strengthening, protecting, building up his saints. We discover the purpose of the church in his word. The importance of being personally and intimately connected to the church. We discover in his word. We see how the sacraments, which we just experienced this morning in baptism, are given as gifts to the church to build up our faith. Was your faith built up this morning watching these baptisms? Yes, that's by God's design. We discover in God's word that prayer should be a central thing in our lives as we seek intimacy with God, our creator. One reason that we encourage you to be in the word regularly is because it strengthens and protects you. Secondly, the word builds seriousness for life. Another benefit of the word of God, it builds seriousness for life into your soul. Without God's word, we tend to drift downstream and do whatever happens next, right? In most areas of our lives. Nothing seems to be all that serious until the Word of God comes into focus. Nothing really seems to matter but our agenda, our comforts, until the Word of God comes into focus. Without God's Word, we all have the same things at our disposal, sports, entertainment, material things, right? But when the Word of God comes into focus, Everything changes, including those gifts of sports, entertainment, and material things. They all change, don't they? It brings a seriousness to life. We also have one another. What a wonderful gift that is from God. But without God's Word, we simply use one another to promote our own own agenda, don't we? But then God's Word comes along and says, love one another as I have loved you. It changes things. It, it brings a seriousness to my relationship with you. It, it forbids me to use you like I would without God's Word. God's Word made Joseph serious about life, even when no one was watching. You would say, well, God's Word didn't exist when Joseph was around. Well, from Adam to Joseph... There was God's Word, wasn't it? It was an oral tradition of God's Word. Abraham spoke with God, and then Abraham spoke to Isaac about God, and Isaac spoke to Jacob, and Jacob spoke to Joseph. It was God's Word through the oral tradition. So, yes, he did have God's Word. For you skeptics. But here's what Psalm 39 records. I'm sorry, Genesis 39. He is not greater in this house, Joseph was speaking to Potiphar's wife. Remember that encounter? Yeah, you do. He is not greater in this house than I am, speaking about Potiphar, to Potiphar's wife. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? (laughs) God's word made Joseph Serious about life when no one was watching. Who would have known if he would have sinned with Potiphar's wife? Nobody. Anybody who knew God was a thousand miles away. They didn't know anything about it. But the word of God made Joseph serious about life, even as a prisoner. A thousand miles away from home. Paul also was impacted this way by God's word. Of course, you know the story of Paul, how God's word impacted his life on the road to Damascus, for example. But he said this to the Corinthian church, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in a world with simplicity and godly sincerity. So the word of God made things serious for Paul. And then he ends this sentence by saying this, not by earthly wisdom, these things didn't happen by earthly wisdom, but by God's grace, but by the grace of God. The word of God came to the apostle Paul and made him serious about everything he did, especially his church planting and shepherding of the people that he led to faith. The Philippians also, remember that book? We studied that recently. The Philippians were also serious about a holy life because of the Word of God. Paul had come and preached the Word of God to them. They came to faith. They were growing as as Christians and growing as a church. And then Paul writes a letter back to them saying this in chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Even with the apostle gone, they were serious about life and serious about obeying the word. The word of God brings a seriousness to our life. Thirdly, it saves us. So, the word of God saves us. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but let me just read for you some verses that confirm this. 2 Timothy 3.15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Paul writing to Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation. The scriptures save people. Acts 2.37-38, Peter is preaching the word of God to all the Jews in Jerusalem. Now when they heard this, that is the preaching of Peter, they were cut to the heart, do you think it, Peter was sharing stories about the Seahawks and his hunting trips and his boat excursions? No. He was sharing the Word of God with them. In fact, his sermon's recorded, if you want to read it. He was simply expositing Old Testament passages for Jews in Acts 2. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. Surprise! God's words cuts the heart, um, and said to Peter and the rest of the brothers, "What shall we do?" And Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." It saves. First Thessalonians two thirteen, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men but as it really is the Word of God, which is at work in you who believe. (laughs) Fourthly, the Word of God stifles temptation. You know the story. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Word of God stifles temptation. You struggling with temptation? (laughs) What's your strategy? Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Ephesians 6:13 Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day having done all to stand firm. The word of God stifles temptation. So if you're struggling with a particular sin or a particular temptation and are trying to defeat it without the word of God is not going to happen. You need to marinate your mind in the word of God. Apply the word of God to your heart. Do you want victory over sin, friend? If so, you must saturate your mind and heart with the word of God because it stifles sin. My dad had a, my dad who was a pastor had a little placard on his study desk. that said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Fifthly, the Word of God encourages. Psalm 130, 3 and 4. Let me read you some encouragement. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, how could I stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Does that encourage your heart? That God doesn't count your iniquities against you? (laughs) That's one of our main praises, isn't it? Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that encourage your heart? Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will complete it. Does that encourage your heart? Colossians 2.14, Christ nailed your sins to the cross. Does that encourage your heart? Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. John 14.2, I go to prepare a place for you. Does it encourage your heart? It's designed to. Friends, <laughs> does your heart stand in awe of God's Word? What, if your answer is, I'm not sure, what else can, we sh- can be shared with you? What else can we encourage you with? What else can we show you? God's word is meant to create an awe-inspiring affection for that word and for its author. Let's pray. Lord, as we come now to the end of our service, we thank you for everything that you have blessed us with here this morning. For the reading of scripture for the praying for the baptism for the preaching for all things that the holy spirit has done in our hearts and minds Uh, we're just so thankful for i pray that that the words of your sacred book will find a resting place in our hearts and minds that we will go from here this morning determined to stand in awe of this word and live a life that demonstrates that truth. God, I pray that you would come to each and every person in this room and create a hunger and thirst for the Scriptures, that you would do this work because you love us and desire what is best for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.